Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. Before I get into this episode, I just want to remind you all, if you have not subscribed to the memo, the Monday newsletter that goes out, you are missing out. To join that newsletter community, just text CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. In this episode, you meet Felicia Rawls, Senior Vice President and Director of Operations in Mesro Financial's Retirement Planning and Advisory Group. Felicia has more than 20 years of experience in operations and business management. Previously, she served as Trading and Operations Assistant for a member of the Chicago Board of Trade and was a Trading and Operations Manager for Feldman Securities Group, LLC. Felicia serves as co-chair of the Emerging Leaders of the Business Leadership Council, an organization whose values include influencing policies and business practices to increase opportunities for African-American inclusion. Felicia earned a BFA from the University of Illinois and an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Felicia, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, So I looked at your... um, looked at your job title, and to say that I have any understanding of what it is that you do would be an absolute lie. So do you want to take us through kind of like what your day-to-day job is today? Uh, Sure. So my role is um, vice president, head of operations for one of the business units at Mesorel Financial. I work with retirement planning and advisory. And in that role, it's um, multifaceted. So thinking... um, day-to-day operations of the business, which include, um, you know, working with staff to kind of streamline workflow efficiencies. Um, I'm a principal for the group, so any new account documents, um, trade reviews, um, problem resolution, all of that is kind of filtered through my role. And I also work with budgeting on an annual basis. Um, you know, looking at our financials on a monthly basis. So it's pretty all-encompassing, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I enjoy my role. Got it. And so before starting business school, I remember thinking, like, one day I want to be the chief operating officer of a company. And then I took my first operations class, and I was like, yeah, nah, nope, can't do it. This <laughs> is hard work. Um, so did you know that you wanted to be in operations always, or um, is this something that you kind of, came about as you got more senior in your career? Yeah, this happened completely by accident, at least initially, and then it became more purposeful, you know, as I grew in my career. But I actually studied art history um, in college, and, you know, even to this day, I enjoy painting and basically all things creative. But, you know, when I was in college, I had dreams of working in in an artistic field, but... Mm. You know, when I graduated, I needed a job, and a friend recommended that I apply for a role at this small investment advisory firm here in Chicago. So I was um, initially hired as a low-level employee, basically working as an assistant to a portfolio manager. And it was in that role that I fell in love with managing money and more specifically the operations of a business that manages money. So that's kind of how I fell into my, my current role. And, you know, as I mentioned, I just kind of fell in love with what I did, you know, problem solving, really learning the operations of a business, and um, became more purposeful in my 
career trajectory. So I obtained the necessary licenses. As you mentioned, I went back to business school um, and, and got an MBA in finance. And um, yeah, it's kind of kind of how it happened. This is obviously a huge detour from my initial career aspirations. Um, and thinking back to that first job, right, was there, do you remember like how diverse it was? Because I know when we think finance, um, it's funny because I've talked to quite a few women for the podcast who are in finance and like none of them look like you when people think finance. Um, so was there a lot of diversity when you first started that encouraged you to continue going on or like what was that like in that first job? So there was not a ton of diversity. Um, all of the portfolio managers were men. All of the support staff were women. Mm. Um, I believe there may have been three black women there at the time. And, yeah, not a ton of diversity. And since you weren't from that world, right, I don't know if you had parents who were in very corporate jobs or worked in finance. Like, How did you figure out how to navigate that? So um, my, my father was a... Um, retired military guy. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, so I didn't really have a ton of exposure to corporate America. Um, I just knew, you know, you go to college, you get a job. That was kind of what I was told. And navigating that world, you know, luckily I worked with individuals who were very supportive um, and recognized and, you know, something in me that I didn't see in myself and, and really helped guide me along that career path. And um, as you have gotten more um, seniors, switched jobs, have you seen the diversity in terms of women, black women, kind of change and grow within the industry? Or do you think that's still like an opportunity for growth for, for the industry that you're in? Yeah, definitely not a, um, not a ton of, it's definitely an area where where there should be some some increase in black women. There's not a ton of diversity still. I mean, there's more now. You know, I run into um, you know in professional networking circles. I definitely see a lot more black women, but um, I think it's 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 a field that you know we should expose our young girls to and say, hey, you know, this is something that you can do. Got it. And um, so we talked briefly about you know the kind of the makeup of the people in the firms that you've worked for. Um, and we know that, you know, data shows that mentorship is really important. So for you, um, how have you sought out mentors um, have, as you've, you know, navigated your career and made decisions around what it is that you wanted to do next? Yeah. I mean, I've, like I said, I've been fortunate to have worked with individuals who have inspired me and they've, you know, become mentors and sponsors and advocates in varying capacities. Um, but as you mentioned, the majority have been white men. Um, mm -hmm. This is the financial services industry. But as I've grown in my career, I've, I've actively sought out diverse mentors mm -hmm. um, who have had experiences that more mirror my own. So what I've done is I've joined professional networking groups that are comprised of African-American business leaders and have found individuals who are proactively looking to um, quote-unquote, pass the torch and mm. embrace young African-American professionals. And why is that important for you? Um, it's important because, um, you know, they obviously have a perspective that's going to be different. They can um, impart knowledge upon me um, in a way 
or you know they can interact with me in a way that's that's different mm. so um yeah that's perspective and just kind of that that mentoring is is really really important and um they know what it's like to you know how to navigate being a minority at a majority firm so um yeah having that perspective later in my career has really helped me realize that um, you really need to, to give back to your community and ensure that there's a next generation of leaders in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Got it. And we talked about, you just mentioned briefly, like being a minority in a, in a majority firm. One of the things that we are hearing more and more dialogue about is, you know, being your authentic self at work and being your whole self at work. And we know that, you know, that looks different for different people. And so for you, like, how do you feel like, or do you feel like you're in a place where you can bring your whole um, authentic self to work? And what does that look like? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm pretty comfortable in my own skin. Um, And, you know, like the issue of hair comes up a lot. And, I've been working in corporate America for almost 20 years, and it's been natural for 14 of those years. Mm. And, um, you know, and I've worn natural hairstyles in a variety of ways, including cornrows and a very, very large Afro puff, <laughs> the occasional head wrap. And, you know, I've never had any direct negative comments about my hair. There's obviously been curiosity and, and comments, but I um, basically boiled down those comments to genuine interest and lack of understanding Mm. more than anything. Um, And, you know, people are just diverse in general. So, you know, I think you just kind of have to be yourself. And, you know, some people will get you and some people will not. Mm. And have you always had that confidence, you know, the kid to show up as yourself um or is that something that has um come more as you've become more experienced in the workplace like in your first job would you have been like yep this is me this is who this is why i'm take it or leave it yeah i mean i'm like i said i'm pretty comfortable in my own skin and i've always just fit me um and you know i've worked in environments luckily you know with people who are open-minded and you know inclusive and accepting so my skin tone has never ever been an issue in any of the working environments that I've been in Mm. and you mentioned I think earlier about um you know the the networking and the the groups that you go to how have you been intentional about cultivating your network so your professional network and then also your tribe like a support system that maybe of of women who are not necessarily in your industry but you know you can lean on when things in with work become maybe overwhelming or challenging? Yeah, so, um, you know, there are groups in Chicago um, that are geared towards African-American business professionals. So I actively sought those organizations out, became very involved. Um, You know, I attend the meetings. I go to the networking events. I help plan activities for, you know, emerging leaders. So I've been very intentional with my interactions there. Um, I'm sorry, what was the second question? Um, in terms of like your tribe of people, right? So maybe not the people that you call for business, but let's say you have a, a terrible day at work and you just like need someone to 
to vent with. Like, how have you been intentional about growing those relationships um, within the city that you're in? Yeah, so my current workplace, there's actually a small group of us. We get together once a quarter, so we call ourselves Black Girl Magic, I'm sure. (laughs) one else has ever, ever used that term. Um, You know, we get together and we we talk about work and our experiences, and it's just kind of an informal support network. And a lot of um, the women that, you know, come to these outings are no longer at the firm, but we still get together. So Mm. um, it is really cultivated into something that, you know, I think is very valuable and meaningful. Mm. Um, And as, you know, you said some people have left the firm, some people are still there. For you, right, you've worked at a, you've been at Mesro for a while, but you've worked at a bunch of different organizations. 10 years in March. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? Yeah, I've been there for a while. Oh, my goodness. Uh, But your career has been, you know, almost 20 years. And so for you, when you're thinking about when it's time to make that next move or time to make a next step in your career, how do you know that you're ready? So I really think um, an individual knows that they're ready for kind of the the next step, the next level, when they're no longer being challenged. Mm. Um, And that's when they should sit back and take stock and, and assess, you know, whether or not they should be making a bigger impact or u- utilizing their talents in a more meaningful way. Um, you know, luckily for me, I've had managers and others, you know, notice my work and have consistently over the years assigned you know, projects that have more visibility and more responsibility tied to them. So I have never felt not challenged. Mm. Um, in any of my roles. There's always something new and exciting and something to learn. And, you know, I hold myself to a personal high standard, so I'm always um, trying to achieve, like, my own personal best. Mm. And um, you talked about, you know, always being challenged, and challenges a lot of times you're learning something new, right? And I think people are nervous about making mistakes right the higher up you go the more um the more visible your mistakes become um and the fear of what that looks like in terms of impact to your career so if you could think back it doesn't have to be at Mesro, but a while back to a time where you made a mistake um and then how you worked through recovering from that mistake i think I mean, I've obviously have made a lot of mistakes of working for 20 years. But, um, one thing that I've kind of learned over the years is that you have to own your mistakes mm. um, and try to learn what you can from it so that you don't make it again, um, that you improve your knowledge, your skill set, um, your, your business acumen. Like, you should be walking away from every failure with a learned lesson on how to not repeat it, to do the task better next time. So um, it's a continual process that, you know, I think everyone should ascribe to improving themselves. Mm. Can you think back to an example of one that you made that then set you up to do something what either better or different and that, that you had not anticipated? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got to think back. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I, I took on a project to, we were 
we were navigating from one platform to another, and I thought that I could get the job done cheaper and more efficiently if we hired an outside consultant, and I basically managed that process. Um, in the end, it did not work out, and, <laughs> you know, there was some, you know, investment loss in that process. But basically, you know, at the end of the day, what I, I realized is that you have to accept current reality for what they are and see things as objective. And, um, you know, in some situations, you may see things through a rose-colored lens and, you know, it's okay to be optimistic, but you really need to accept a situation for what it is and um, that allows you to ask different questions and accept hard facts and, you know, maybe at least I would have navigated that situation a little differently um, had I had a different approach. Hmm. So I kind of take that into my, you know, everyday working life now and kind of try to look at things very objectively regardless of how optimistic I am about um, how a project or um, task may turn out, I, I kind of take a step back and try to ask the hard questions and um, I think that empowers you to gather the right data and just make better informed decisions. Mm. And, you know, asking the right hard questions I think is something that the more experience you have, the the easier it becomes to be able to ask the, the questions that matter. Um, what other skills, like three concrete skills, do you think that you've had to develop over the course of your career that allow you to be successful today? Um, I think the uh, so one skill would be figuring out a way to say, I don't know, um, that doesn't cost you credibility. Mm, figuring out a way to say you don't know that doesn't cost you credibility. What does that mean? So, you know, in my younger days, like if I was working on something and I didn't know, I would say, oh, let me ask so-and-so. Or, you know, I would basically, you know, inadvertently letting that person know that they could go to someone else and that I wasn't needed in that equation. Mm. And so what I do now um, it's one of the skills that I actively work on um, is learning how to say I don't know in a way that gives context but gives the other person comfort that I, that I will get them the answer they need. So um, instead of saying, I don't know, let me ask so-and-so, I'll be like, oh, that's a great question. Let me find out for you. You know, I have to be in front of me uh, to give you the, the full response you need, but I will get you what you need later that day or, you know, give them some time frame. Got it. So I don't know, let me ask. So from I don't know, let me ask and then insert name here versus um, great question, let me get back to you with an answer or great question, let me find out for you. Yeah, or, you know, I don't have the data in front of me because a lot of times people will put you on the spot. Mm. And, um, you know, they're asking some random question. Um, and obviously, you know, I've prepared and, done what I've needed to do to prepare for the meeting, but questions come out of left field, and when you're on the spot, it's easy to, you know, you're like a deer in headlights, and say, I, I don't know, you know, I, and, and try to 
cover yourself, basically. But I think there's a way to kind of respond more confidently to, to those situations. Mm, that, that's amazing. And then what's something else that you have developed over time, a skill? Um, I think saying no. Um, as black women, I think we tend to take on everyone else's problems. And that obviously includes the workspace. Um, so I think it's okay to say no to a task or a project that may not fall under your job description, or the person asking you can easily perform that, you know, request on their own. Um, and then, at least in my experience, I tend to find that those types of requests tend to be more clerical or administrative in nature. So I think saying, being confident in saying no is okay. Um, but one caveat to that is I will say that I do accept projects that I think um, may elevate my profile or increase my knowledge or skill set and, you know, ultimately my team, you know, if I'm accepting the right type of additional projects and, and doing a good job, you know, performing well, um, increases my team's confidence in my ability to perform and then ultimately, like, the level of respect that I garner. And do you do you just say no, or is there like a, is there language? Because I think a lot of times people don't say no because they don't want to appear mean or appear they're they're not a team player. Um, are there you know is there other language that can be used as opposed to someone being like, hey Felicia, can you do this? And you're like, nope. <laughs> and then keep it moving, right? And like, then keep it moving, like nope. Complete sentence, no. Yeah, I mean you have to be tactful with it, and obviously like. You have to consider the relationship you have with the other person, nor are they senior to you. you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that factor in how you say no, but um, you can suggest a way that you would approach it and say, if you need help with this, I can help you, but, you know, all you need to do is X, Y, Z. Or sometimes requests may not even be necessary, so you can say, you know, ask them why they're asking you to do it and basically counter with, well, you know, I, I don't think that's something we, we need to do. Like the, the client hasn't requested it or, you know, there, there are ways to tactfully um, negate an unnecessary request. Got it. And we're talking a little bit about, you know, communication styles, right? You know, softening some words as opposed to being, you know, more direct depending on the relationship. And we know that there are tons of stereotypes, right, around black women, whether it's being aggressive communicators or being the angry black woman. Do you, do you think about that um, as you decide how you communicate with people? Um, not on a day-to-day basis. Um, like, my, my natural communication style would actually be described by most as the antithesis to the angry black woman stereotype. Um, so I've had to learn to do the opposite and toughen up how I communicate with others. Mm. Um, so for me, I can actually use the angry black woman stereotype to my advantage. Um, you know, if I use it selectively and if I'm strategic on, in how it's used. Mm. And as you know, now your job, you work with teams, like teams of people, how, much better have you gotten at communication the more senior that you've gotten? It's, it's a skill that can be developed over time. So 
you know, working for almost 20 years, I've obviously gotten better at communicating with, with others. But, um, for example, you know, being assertive is, is not one of my strong suits. So that is something that I am constantly, actively um, working on. Mm. That, that style of communication, especially in, you know, in corporate America, people will take advantage of you. Mm. So you have to be comfortable communicating in a way with others to let them know that, that you can stand on your own. Mm. And how much of that comes with, like, just knowing that you're excellent of, at your job versus boundaries? Versus what? Like boundaries, establishing, you know, boundaries. Like, listen, this, this is my boundary, don't cross it, versus my work warrants a certain level of respect, and so that's what's going to happen. So I think, you know, just in daily interactions, you know, you kind of teach people how to treat you. So social interactions, people know what boundaries they can or cannot cross. But people being people will, will try to test them. Then, mm. you know, that's, that's when you need to selectively, like I said, I selectively use the stereotype to, to reach certain objectives. Mm. Got it, got it. And for, um, you talked about, you know, things in corporate America, people can try you. We all know that they can be very stressful. And the flip side of that is that right now there's a lot of talk around self-care and work-life balance. So for you, have you, do you feel like you've reached a place of balance? And what does that look like for you? Yeah, yeah, I definitely have reached it. Um, How, Felicia, we all need answers. How did you get to this (laughs) balance? Because everyone is struggling. For me, I'm, I'm very meticulous in, like, checklists and, and to-do lists and, um, you know, having a really wide view of what my responsibilities are, and I create schedules for myself um, so that I stay on top of what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, I selectively take on a think will elevate my profile Um but in those projects, you also need to maybe partner with people who can help you along the way. So I feel like it's also okay to ask help when you need it. Mm. And then for you, self-care looks like what? So today I'm taking the day off. I took yesterday and today off. Um, I, yesterday. Um, and today I'm just relaxing. So I feel like every now and then you need to take a couple of days for yourself and, and to reboot. Yeah, man, it's so necessary. I think I was listening to something, and they're like, at some point during every year, you need to take a two-week vacation because one week people feel like they can just like, oh, we'll just wait until she gets back, but two weeks Mm -hmm. people are forced to solve their own issues, and so two weeks at one point during the year, take it and just like relax. I like that. I have never done a two-week vacation. Me either. I just did my first week, and I thought I was like, it was... It was glorious, but I was I had anxiety for the first you know couple of days around like what's going to happen and the building didn't burn down everybody was fine but it was it gave me anxiety. Now you know it's okay, right? Yeah, now I know it's okay. So maybe next time I'll try a week and a half and then hopefully get to two weeks consistently. Yeah, so I've done like a week for sure. I've done, but for me, I find 
I can do, like, I can take a Friday and a Monday off. Mm. Um, you know, luckily I work in a place that allows a lot of work flexibility. So, um, you know, I can come in a little later if need be, if I have a doctor's appointment or um, if I need to, you know, head out and do something. There's not a lot of um, scrutiny on, you know, how long you're in the office. As long as you're getting your work done, then it's not an issue. Got it. And right now there's conversations, right, around the data around black people, specifically black women exiting corporate um, and starting entrepreneurial, you know, endeavors. For you, what has kept you working in corporate for so long? Um, so I believe there's pros and cons to both entrepreneurship and corporate America. But um, I think ultimately it comes down to what you need as an individual to feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. and um, the things in your life that inform what the right choice is for you. So for me, I'm a bit risk adverse, mm. like the security of working in a larger firm. So um, for me, you know, corporate America has worked out. Mm. But, you know, I also regard that the work that I do in retirement planning is impactful and that I can reach um, – a larger demographic, you know, specifically brown and black folks, um, I can reach them better, you know, in corporate America. Got it. And so that was like the perfect segue into my, my next question is, what's the thing about your job that brings you the most joy? So um, there's a couple of things. It's hard to answer just one line, but... No, like I said, I think the work that we do is impactful. I mean, in America, people are severely undersaved for retirement. And in, you know, black communities, if you look at the numbers, um, you know, we're way worse. (laughs) We are not doing well in that respect. So um, providing companies um, vehicles that they can pass on to their employees, where they can ultimately, you know, retire successfully, like I said, to me, is meaningful and impactful. And, um, you know, one of the things that I advocate for my group to do is actively seek out, you know, minority firms who may not even offer retirement plans um, and say, you know, this is something, this is a benefit you should be offering to your employees, one, because it'll set them up for a successful retirement, but it also helps you attract um, and retain good talent. Mm. Some, you know, ultimately more competitive. And I, I was watching a documentary, and I think it said the biggest um, source of most people's wealth building is their retirement plans, like their 401k. And so for people who don't have that, they're, they're, it's a huge source that they are completely missing out on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there's Social Security, but, you know, the future of that has been up for debate for a very long time. Um, Yeah, you know, it's a scary situation, and, you know, that's why we have Americans who are working well past the retirement age, just so that they can make ends meet and, you know, meet their medical needs. You know, as we get older, you know, that stuff becomes a, a bigger portion of our budget, yeah, it's just, it's a scary situation. But 
but at least you're, you know, being a part of the solution in the day-to-day work that you do. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> I think you're doing more than trying. Um, so we're going to go to our lightning round questions next. And don't overthink these. Just the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the question. And so the first question is, what's the one piece of career advice you wish you'd have gotten sooner in your career? Um, arm yourself with knowledge and you'll have all the confidence you need. Mm. What's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn but has had the biggest impact on your career? Ooh, um, I think I mentioned it earlier, but you got to accept current realities and, and see what is as objective. Mm. It allows you to ask better questions, make um, better informed decisions in a more timely manner. What is the one book that's either had the biggest impact on your career or that you could read over and over again? Mm. I read a book, um, Good to Great, by Jim Collins, and this book was given to me by one of the African-American mentors that I mentioned from the networking group that I I talked about. Um, And I like this book because it covers a lot of the aspects of running a successful company from the leadership that's in place, the the company culture, uh, strategic management. It is a really, really good book, and I recommend it highly. Good to great. Good to great by Jim Collins. Got it. And then the last question, um, as we all know, a lot of career decisions are made when you're not in the room. And so for you, what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? Um, I want people to say that I'm thoughtful. Hmm. And not just when it comes to my interactions with individuals, but thoughtful in my approach to addressing issues and solving problems. Hmm. That's amazing. So, Felicia, thank you for your time today. Um, And I'm sure that people will get so much from listening to you um, and all the gems that you dropped today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Yay. Now, you all know I like to end every episode with my three gems that I got from each of the interviews. Um, My first thing that I loved was the business, the best business advice that she got, which is arm yourself with knowledge and you'll have all the confidence that you need. The second thing, and we've heard this on previous episodes, is that you should be walking away from every failure with a lesson learned. And then I think the last one um, is finding diverse mentors who um, know how to navigate the space that you're currently in just so that you can get to where you want to be faster. One of my professors says, so that you can be wiser, younger. Um, As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, subscribe to the Monday Memo by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866, or join us on Facebook at I Choose a Ladder, and also on Instagram at I Choose a Ladder. Until next time, thank you for listening.